I want to thank you guys for coming. Uh, I recognize any time that we invite y'all to come in for training or something, you know, above and beyond church, like it is a sacrifice of your time. Uh, many of you, it's a sacrifice of a certain degree of family chaos that you're embracing because kids are in the kids' ministry and not getting their normal naps and things like that, and it can mess up schedules. So we recognize it's a big sacrifice. Uh, we thank you for coming and being a part. We hope that this will prove to be really fruitful for you guys. Um, it's certainly a goal of ours is to make this very valuable and uh, fruitful for you. Um, ground rules for anybody that wasn't at the last one we kind of set some ground rules just so you know uh, what the day will look like Um, first and foremost we want you guys to be engaged so while it is largely going to be me talking and teaching and sharing um, by all means feel free and stop and interrupt you can have a dialogue with me. That's why I wanted folks to scoot up closer so you didn't feel like you had to yell. You could just kind of raise your voice and and talk with me. Um, Ask questions. Push for clarity. If I'm going through anything that you're just not quite catching, like just call for time out and ask me to clarify or push for questions that would help make it more clear for you. Um, And challenge anything. If you hear anything that doesn't sound right or that you feel like doesn't match up with what you understand biblically, like by all means, push back and Let's have some healthy dialogue so we can really wrestle through these things together. Um, another ground rule is I want you guys to really be intentional about connecting the dots. Um, these aren't just ideas for y'all to go and to, to think about. They're supposed to be um, dynamics that we believe God has called all of us to as part of the Christian life. So we want everyone to be able to walk away understanding what this means for you, how this impacts you and your walk with the Lord and how this should challenge you to live things out. So I want you to connect the dots. Um, Today, specifically, I want you all to be thinking about how can you take what you're learning and share it with others. There are a lot of folks who aren't here today that probably really need to be challenged with some of the things that we're going to be looking at. Uh, A lot of people that probably have gospel distortions, identity distortions, and things that are causing guilt and shame and robbing them from the joy that they should have in walking out their their faith. And so we want y'all to be able to go and have conversations with them. God has put you in their lives so that you can have conversations and speak truth into their life. Um, there are probably people that you know as a part of the church that, that, that aren't going to be in a position where any of the pastors can go and talk with them and challenge them or know them in a way to, to, to challenge them in some of these specific areas. And these might be people that you're in community group with or that you happen to know from Sunday services that aren't engaged in community groups or serving, but that for some reason God's you know, put in relationship with you. So there are probably people that you need to have conversations with that none of us can. So I want you to be thinking specifically today about how you can take what you're learning and how you can have conversations and share this information with other people. Um, I'll drop it in that uh, MedCom folder. Um, and this is gonna be fun because I don't multitask at all. Um, I am terrible. So give me just a second. Luckily, I know where it's at, and it'll be quick. On another note, how was that potluck? Did anybody anybody have any of Linda Freiberg's amazing spaghetti bake? Can we get a round of applause for that one? All right, pro presenter, special events, guys, discipleship training. Discipleship training number two. So I just dropped it in there. It should synchronize here quickly. And it'd be great if I can get the clicker so I'm not making you try to read my mind on when to flip through stuff. Um, So be thinking about how you can share this with others. There's gonna be homework at the end of today. We want y'all to be able to go out and really think about how you can have conversations with people to to just um, help them wrestle through some of the things we're gonna wrestle through today. Uh, And then lastly, I I really welcome your feedback. Um, We want this time to be fruitful for you. If you walk away and you think, man, that was not very helpful, we wanna know what would make this more helpful, what would make this more fruitful. Um, So please give feedback. Last time I got feedback from one person and they asked if it would be possible to have worship. And (laughs) we did get the feedback, we did consider the feedback, We just weren't able to coordinate it today because most of our band needed a rest. Um, They've been pushing really hard for the last few weeks and into Easter. And so um, obviously even our worship set, Pastor Joe was a one-man band and we didn't want to ask him to be here all day long. Um, So we gave him a break and didn't make him get up and sing for this. So we are hopeful to do that in the future. But all that to say, please give feedback. We want this to be fruitful. All right, that brings us to the next slide. Why Why did we invite you here for this? Um, first and foremost, we want everyone to understand the mission statement. We really feel like this is a mission statement God's given us. Um, 
because really our mission statement is just proclaiming the truths in scripture of what we are all called to as disciples of Christ. So we want everyone to really connect the dots and understand what the, the, the mission statement means for them. It's not just some idea for the church in general, but it is really a mission statement for each one of us to live out. Uh, we also want to equip you to live out that mission statement. Um, if you think about uh, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, we often share, and it talks about uh, God gave the preachers, the evangelists, the teachers, and various others to equip the body for the work of the ministry. So we really see it that everyone that calls this church home is called to be equipped to carry out the work of the ministry. So with that, let's actually dive into the content of today. Awesome. The clicker's busted. Pastor Aaron, you'll get to be my clicker. Uh, you can go to the next slide. Um, we're going to be talking today about the glory of God. And this one really hit home for me. Um, I came to know the Lord at a young age. I've always had a heart for the Lord, but over the past few years, particularly since we moved to Seattle, um, it's been a very, very transformational time for me. Um, but I think God's really been exposing that I had um, a distortion in why I did a lot of the things that I did and the way I lived out my life. Uh, and a lot of it was me really living for my glory and not for the Lord's, even though I loved the Lord. Um, and so I want to unpack some of my story, hopefully to help you guys connect the dots with how easy it is to get the wrong why and how many people are in the church that are really living out of the wrong purpose, the wrong why. And when you start from the wrong place, it, it just distorts everything. So um, my family and my personal story kind of goes all the way back to my my dad and kind of his upbringing. My dad was born in um, Pine Ridge, Mississippi, which he always jokes is an old Indian term for land of the redneck. Um, very poor, very rural. Um, they actually were in a like country school where all the kids were in one class and uh, from all the different grades and uh, couldn't even afford the teacher for that. So they finally started busing him into the city school. And my dad was the only one out of all of the kids that he knew that wasn't considered like slow. Um, just the education had been so bad, but he was a very hardworking student. He was in the normal kids' classes and the only poor country kid in with the other kids. So my dad was very shy, um, very felt very out of place, um, made it to college, paid his own way through college. Um, and while he was in college, he actually uh, got involved with Campus Crusade for Christ, um, met Jesus. He had grown up in a church, but small rural church where the pastors are preaching fire and brimstones on Sunday. And then the rest of the week were drinking and carousing and just never got it. My dad, it, none of it added up. But when he got to college and he saw people whose lives really were marked by the gospel, um, it just got a hold of him and Jesus transformed him. And um, the, the school he was at, they didn't actually have Campus Crusade staff. It was all student-led. The second year that my dad went back to school, um, the first week for Campus Crusade, they said they were going to close it down. Uh, the, the students who had been leading, each one of them had different things that had come up unexpectedly, and they weren't going to be there that year. And uh, so they said, we're going to shut it down. We don't have anybody that can lead. And my dad said, well, well, I'll lead it. And apparently everybody in the room was like, who's that guy? My dad was so quiet. No one even knew him. He had been there the whole year before. And the only guy that knew him was the leader who had actually reached out to my dad and led him to the Lord. And, and the guy was like, I, I know him. He's been around. He's faithful. And so they let my dad lead. And, and God did a mighty work. He actually, the Campus Crusade began to flourish. Campus Crusade took note and started sending other schools that wanted to have Campus Crusade. They would send them to where my dad was at so they could learn how a student-led ministry should look. So this quiet, quiet, shy, poor kid all of a sudden is leading a flourishing ministry and God started to really use him. He went on staff with Crusade, went to Texas, um, ended up having just a flourishing ministry there. Um, actually, by God's grace, he had a lot of connection with the businessmen and most people really struggle to raise uh, support. It's a very difficult thing to do. And most all of the Texas schools were underfunded and were really struggling to, to meet budget. And dad's um, businessmen that got involved were just giving tons of support and they actually supported like the bulk of the schools in Texas. And so God was blessing them financially, but as well in the ministry. And so he did that for a number of years and then he ended up going... Um, from Campus Crusade into the business world, uh, went into financial services, um, just felt a call to work with businessmen, and that was a real avenue for him to do ministry. And um, I grew up watching my dad just constantly inviting people over to the house, and we never knew what was going to happen. He could end up talking to them about their finances. He could end up recruiting them to come to work with him. Um, he might end up sharing the gospel and never talk about it. Like, we just didn't know. He just was involved in people's lives, very intentional, and always had his antenna out to figure out where are these people are hurting, how can I serve them, how can we minister to them. And, and so our, our house was just a constant place of ministry. 
Um, my dad was uh, one of the founding elders at the church we were at. And I say all this not to impress y'all, but to impress upon y'all that I kind of grew up with these amazing examples. And, and the distortion it led to was I kind of had this um, distorted view of the idea of to whom much is given, much is expected. And I kind of grew up with this thought, well, my dad came from a poor family, had nothing. Look at all that God's done through him. Look all that I've been blessed with. So God must expect twice as much out of me. And so I grew up with this incredible weight. Um, I remember actually one Sunday uh, in high school or college, the pastor was talking about, come back next week. We're going to talk about how God's burden is light. And I was so excited because I'm like, man, the Christian life kind of sucks for me. Like it is heavy and not very joyful. Like I want to see God glorified, but I always feel guilty and ashamed and weighty and I can't ever do enough. And so I went back the next week, really excited to hear what he was going to preach about and realized it was just a basic salvation message. And I'm like, I've heard that before. Like that's still not helping me. Why does it still feel weighty? Like the burden's not gone. And so in essence, one of the distortions I had was you're saved by grace. Now you've got a lot of work to do to prove that you're a good steward with what I've given you. And, um, all the way along, I just had the wrong why. I kind of had this idea that um, I had to prove myself before God as a good steward. I felt like I had to justify myself before him. I felt like I had to have everything together. Like I knew I'd been saved, but now I've got to prove that I'm saved by not messing up and by making sure that I'm fruitful and I accomplish a lot. Um, I was worried that when I died, I would end up in heaven and God would say, you should be ashamed of yourself. I did so much for you and you've done so little for me. And so um, most of my years growing up, I, I loved the Lord. I was involved in everything. It's funny. I was, I was the high school kid, like even in college, my friends that were other colleges, I didn't even know, like, and actually not even my friends, just guys I went to high school with, they would ask their parents like, Hey, can we go on a ski trip? And the parents would be like, right. Maybe if Travis Tuttle was driving you, like everyone kind of like, I was the exemplary kid. And yet inside I had just so little joy, so much shame, so much guilt, and no one would have known it. And so when I went off to college, I was praying. I was like, Lord, I want to know you the way you want to be known. Um, I'd be foolish to think at whatever age you go up to high school, 16, 18, whatever I was, I'd be foolish to think I've already figured you out and I've got my theology nailed. So Lord, help me to know you the way you want to be known. Like grow me, challenge me. Um, I also started looking at scripture and I was like, you know, I've grown around some amazing leaders. Like went to a great high school. A lot of the kids, their dads were like CEOs of big companies and different things and um, loved the Lord. I mean, I had a lot of great godly and worldly examples. And um, as I looked around, I was like, you know, most everything I've ever seen can be explained by really gifted men that worked really hard. I've not ever seen much that can only be explained by the hand of God. And yet when I read scripture, God wants his glory to be proclaimed. And I don't, I don't understand that because all I see is a bunch of guys working hard and accomplishing a lot. So I was like, Lord, I want to see life in a way that can only be explained by you showing up and you being at work. And so with those different prayers, I kind of went off to college and um, I would say, as I have alluded to, you know, Jesus had my heart. I was a believer, um, but I was weighed down with guilt and shame and the weight of expectations that I was putting on myself because I had a distorted understanding of why we were called to the Lord. Um, so with those prayers, I headed off to college. Uh, I got out of college and, and, and through the process in my years in college, did, did a lot of neat work and started planting the seeds of change. Um, I went through a study called Experiencing God. Has anybody been through that study before? Um, I thought it was a super helpful study for me. And basic idea was, uh, you know, they talked about all these stories through scripture where they said, look, you know, they didn't come to God with their plan and say, hey, here's what we're praying. We've got big plans. Will you bless it? God came to people and said, here's what I'm planning to do. Will you get in line with what I want to do? And if so, I want to work through you to accomplish things. Think about Moses at the burning bush. Like God came to him and said, here's what I'm about to do. Now come on and I'll work through you. You think about Gideon. God came and found him and said, here's what I've got planned. If you'll be my man, I want to, you know, restore the Israelites through you. So there are all these different plans that God had. And it started to change my perspective because I had spent all of my years praying, all right, Lord, all right, if I'm gonna be involved in this, like what's the biggest thing I can pray? And then I'm just gonna pray you'll do beyond that because it says in Ephesians, you can do immeasurably beyond what we ask or imagine. But it always started with the biggest plan I could imagine and then asking God to do a little bit more. So the Experiencing God study changed it a little bit. I started saying, all right, Lord, where are you at work? And let me just align with what you're doing. Um, and then after college, I moved back to Dallas. Uh, that was an interesting season of life. I was there about five years, went into work in finance with my dad. 
Um, loved what I was doing. I realized that being in my dad's shadow brought up a lot of the distortions again. Um, I started feeling that sense of shame and guilt because I was not gifted in the same way as my dad was, was not accomplishing near what he had, and the enemy kind of continually assaulted me with this idea of, man, you've been given so much more than your dad. You should be accomplishing so much more than he did. You should be ashamed of yourself that you're not. And amidst that, I just realized it was not healthy for my spiritual walk to be in the midst of such confusion and distortion. And so I thought it'd be healthy to get out of my dad's shadow. I started researching places to live because I thought if I'm not working in the same business as my dad and I'm gonna start over, I might as well start somewhere that I'll enjoy living because Texas is miserable. Like Dallas is hot, it's humid, it's flat, it's ugly. There's not much to do there that I like to do. And so Seattle kept showing up as an ideal place and I moved up here. Um, we had studied Mars Hill a little bit um, with uh, our church. We were challenged with some assimilation problems and we heard a lot of great things about the community groups and ministry at Mars Hill. So when I came here, I was familiar and we got plugged in here and God started to do further that work that he had started, um, started really challenging me as it, uh, we went through redemption groups started to expose some more of the gospel distortions. I went through retrain and God really began to drive home this idea of his glory. And I began to see that I had lived so much of my life out of trying to establish my glory to justify myself before God instead of truly seeking his glory and not worrying about myself as part of the picture. And so the point of all this is I realized over time that I had a gospel distortion. And it robbed me of joy. It, it, it affected why I did things and how I did things. And um, so as we go through the rest of this topic today, I just lay all that story to say, one, it really hits home for me. And two, it's critical that we get it right because you can look like you're doing all the right things and yet totally be missing the point if you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Um, I think another interesting element that for me came out of this is because I had spent my whole life trying to justify myself before the Lord, show myself as a good steward, be exemplary, really trying to prove my glory before men so no one would find, you know, any room to question or doubt me and would really see me as a, a godly man. But it was really driven by my glory. And what happens in all that is you minimize the gospel. Um, I've really appreciated that Mars Hill, compared to a lot of the churches I've been at, uh, really showed me what it was like to walk in the light. And I appreciate that Sound City has really carried that value forward. Like, we want people to walk in the light. It is okay to admit that we're broken. We're all on a road of progress. None of us have reached perfection. And I grew up in an area where there was kind of this idea that, well, if you're really walking the Lord, you'll have your whole act together and you won't have any more problems like we do. So anybody that showed up at church and had problems was ashamed of it. Like, well, gosh, I can't be honest about these because they'll think I don't have my act together and I want to be like them. And people start looking at one another instead of the gospel because the only one that has their act together is Jesus. Amen? Like, we all have brokenness. We all have problems. And I spent most of my life hiding the problems and not being honest because I felt like I couldn't be honest. I had to be exemplary. I had to show everyone what a great example and steward I was. And so I really minimized the gospel. And when we were operating out of the wrong why, we minimized the gospel. So if we're all going to glorify God by proclaiming Jesus and uh, being disciples and making disciples, then we need to make sure that we have the why right. So with all of that, let's jump in to a whole bunch of scripture. There's, at the front end of this, I'm gonna have two chunks that I hit um, in more depth. And then after that, I'm gonna start just racing through a ton of scripture. You have them all printed out so you can come back to them and you can study them afterwards. Just know that um, after I unpack some of these first sections, we're gonna go pretty fast. Um, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter one does an amazing job of helping set the framework for what it's all about. Um, I have, as you can see through your notes there, I have highlighted in red and, and bold underlines this idea of to the praise of his glorious grace, um, the praise of his glory, God's plan for the fullness of time. But really the, the phrase, three of those four hit the idea of this is all for the praise of God's glory. And that is why that underlines everything. So let's read through these. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. That's the object of his purpose. That's the object of his will, 
for his glorious grace to be praised, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Go on to the next slide. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Um, So as we see through these, I've tried to underline like a lot of the key things we've been blessed with, the key things he's done, but all of those are for the purpose of the glory of his grace, for proclaiming his grace, for letting his glory be known. So then in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So we see that from the beginning of time, God had a purpose and a plan for his glory to be proclaimed. He does that through redeeming us in Jesus Christ. So Jesus dying on the cross, raising again as the means to redeem and to restore us. That was kind of the the pivotal moment in, in the plan that God had laid out from the beginning of time. And he did all of that so that we could be the means by which he proclaims his glory. He shows us just how glorious he is by redeeming us, by extending his grace to us, an unlovable, unredeemable people, and yet he redeemed us. That's how his glory is displayed. So we are the means through which he displays his glory to the world around us. So let's go all the way back then to the very beginning. If that's kind of the plan, and and I'm proposing to y'all that that is a major theme throughout all of scripture. We see in Ephesians that it was a plan for the fullness of time, meaning from the very beginning until the very end, that was God's, was, is, and will be his singular plan. So let's kind of trace this idea through scripture and see if this holds up, see if this truly is there throughout all of scripture. Um, In Genesis 1, 1 and 2, we see in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. We see in Genesis 1, 1 and 2, God and the Holy Spirit represented, but Jesus was also there. And we see that when we look at John 1, 1 through 4 in the New Testament, it says, in the beginning was the word, referring to Jesus, the word was with God, the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made in and through him, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So you see in the beginning, we had the presence of God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, that Trinity living in mutual submission to one another, uh, unity, worshiping one another. And we see this idea of community that's right from the beginning. We then see in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Um, There's a number of other things, but I'm gonna go ahead and move forward because that kind of gets the the key point there. So God makes us in his image. Um, We see in Genesis 3, one through six, the serpent enters. So God's kind of entered, he's created us in his image, he's given us a charge, and then the serpent comes along, more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, well, you may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Uh, I underlined, neither shall you touch it, because that's a, a gospel distortion, that's not what God said. He didn't say, neither shall you touch it. He just said, don't eat it. So she introduced something that was not originally a part of God's word. Um, The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Uh, I highlighted that in red because that is another gospel distortion. It's an identity distortion. It already said that we are made in the likeness of God. So for the enemy to say, you will become like God, introduces one, a, 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 he's challenging what God had said. He's basically making God out to be a liar and saying, well, God didn't make you like him. This will make you like him. But so that creates an identity distortion. Uh, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was uh, good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So we see from this that, first of all, I think it's important to note, Adam and Eve, were given a choice. If they didn't have a choice, they could not show worship to God by honoring his word over their own. That would have been their only option. But God gave them a choice. So they had the ability to choose whether they were going to worship him 
and glorify him by obeying his word over their own interests, or they could choose to elevate themselves and pursue their own interests, which is obviously what they did in this case. Um, also some interesting patterns. Gospel distortion, where he says, neither shall you touch it, um, leads to identity distortions where we lose sight of what God has told us is true of ourselves. Um, and then it leads to idolatry. Well, I don't trust what God said. I misunderstand who he's made me to be, so I'm gonna go seek something else that ultimately will never fulfill us. But that's a very common pattern, and I raise that because we'll see that as you're walking life out with brothers and sisters around you, often as sin comes in, it follows a similar pattern. So then in Genesis 3, 7 through 13, the eyes of both of them were open. They knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. Um, I was thinking about this as I was reading this the other day. That phrase, like, standing in all his glory, like when a guy's naked, um, they were pursuing their own glory, and, oh my gosh, we're standing here naked, like, connected the dots. I don't know if anybody's ever thought of that before, but next time you hear that phrase, realize that that came about at the fall of man. When man chose his own glory, he got to stand in all his glory. Um, that one was for free. That was just a side note. I... <laughs> true, true. Um, so then in verse nine, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. <laughs> Which part? <laughs> How do y'all say naked? <laughs> naked. Man, y'all don't know how to talk up here. He said, who told you that you were not clothed? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. Um, here's another interesting pattern to note. Sin leads to shame, which leads to hiding, which leads to fear. And when called to task, our response, our natural response is blame shifting. Uh, man, I don't know about y'all, but I've seen this time and time again with brothers and sisters. Gosh, even my own natural tendency, something happens, a sin in some way, I'm ashamed. So I kind of want to hide it from others. Then I become afraid that it'll get exposed. And then when people call me out, there's a defensive nature, certainly in a community group. If something happens and somebody starts to disappear, almost always I find out that, well, there was a sin. So they felt ashamed. So they didn't want to come to community group. And so the pattern continues. So be aware of that. If you're ever in community group and somebody just disappears, have a heavy heart for them. Pursue them. At, hey, is everything okay? And don't just take the easy answer. Pursue, because often it's the same sin pattern being repeated. So sin led to broken fellowship with God and one another. And, and I kind of lay that groundwork to come back. And again, the idea was they had a chance to worship God and to uphold his glory and his word. And instead they pursued their own glory. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and the dust you shall lead all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Uh, bonus points. Does anybody know that last phrase there? Like, is God's kind of talking about what's to come? Does anybody know the fancy seminary word for what that is? There we go. Yeah, I actually don't know how it's pronounced. Proto-evangelion is how I've heard it. Uh, but basically the, the first... Yeah. <laughs> Proto-evangelion, the first gospel... This is the first time the gospel is proclaimed. Now, it, uh, I heard it like, an, it's like a seed. Like in the seed of a tree, for example, an apple tree or whatever, like everything that needs to be there for that tree to become the fullness of what it will be down the road is there. You're just not seeing in its, in its full glory yet. Like it hasn't fully blossomed. It's, it's just the seed. Well, the same thing with the gospel we see here. Like the fullness of what it is to become is there. God's talking about Jesus coming, crushing the power of, sin, uh, of the enemy and Satan and, and restoring and redeeming people. Um, we're just not seeing it fully spelled out into what it will be down the road. He didn't say this is gonna be Jesus, and what, but, but it's all there. And so in this first gospel, the reason I come back here is from Ephesians. He said, I had a plan from the beginning all the way through to the end of time for my glory to be proclaimed. 
And we come all the way back, and sure enough, right at the very beginning, he tells us what that plan was. So he is consistent. That plan is there throughout. So then let's jump ahead to Exodus. And we'll start racing through some of these verses. In Exodus 33, this is right after Moses had gone up on the mountain. And while he was up, the people had gotten really stupid and uh, gathered a bunch of gold. And Aaron apparently threw it into the fire and a calf just happened to walk out. Um, And so in the midst of that, God, notably so, got frustrated. It's like, are you kidding me? I've just redeemed, restored these people. I've brought them out of Egypt. I've done miraculous works. You're up on the mountain with me a few days and they're gonna immediately start making golden calves to worship. So God in the midst of that says, Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob saying to your offsprings, I will give it. I will send an angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hizzites, Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Go to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way for you're a stiff-necked people. Um, I, I wanna highlight here God says, hey, you and the people you brought out of Egypt. So I think it's biblical when Gideon acts up and I say, hey, that's you and your son to my wife. Like God does the same thing. So I think that's fair. Um, but then we see in Exodus 33, don't tell my wife I said that. She's not in here. Um, oh, just kidding. <laughs> hey, didn't think you were going to make it. Um, in Exodus 33, what we see here is a glimpse of somebody that got it. Moses understood the right why, and this is pretty, pretty key. So Moses, in response to God, says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Moses got it. Now, the Israelites, they're grumbling and complaining, and they're saying, give us the promised land or take us back to Egypt. But this whole desert thing, man, this is terrible. They're grumbling, they're complaining, they're continually pursuing other gods, But Moses says, man, Lord, the promised land doesn't matter. Your presence is what matters. And so, man, if you send us to the promised land and you don't go with us, it's not worth it. Moses really understood the right why. He understood the full purpose was for God's glory, not their their happiness. And man, so many times I talk with people as they're coming to get connected and they're looking for community group. And there's this underlying thing that's not normally stated so overtly, but basically will well, y'all told me to get in community groups, so when I get plugged in, like that's where God's gonna fix everything and make me happy again, right? They're looking for their happiness. They're looking for all their brokenness to be fixed. And, and while that is a blessing and God does wanna bring restoration, really the greatest blessing is his presence. So if we go sending people off to serve or to be a part of community groups or to be involved in anything that we're doing because there's an underlying notion that we're just doing that to make you happy or that's where things will get fixed, and that's what's leading them there. We're really doing them a service. We should be leading them there because, man, we want you to learn about who God is and how glorious and amazing he is. And we want you to understand what it's like to be a part of displaying his glory. And you'll experience that by being a part of the redeeming work he's doing. But really the ultimate aim is his glory, not your glory, not your happiness. Does that make sense? So Moses really got it. We see in Psalms, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. We see in Isaiah 43, Isaiah's got a bunch of great ones. I'll say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. I, man, I'm sure that was in my Bible when I was growing up. That just wasn't talked about in the same way that I have learned about it of late. Isaiah 43, 20 and 21, the wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Our highest end that God has created us for is to declare his praise. Isaiah 43, 25, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Uh, This is a pretty fascinating one. I heard this a number of years ago and I totally just, I was like, what? But uh, basically, uh, I can't remember who it was. I think it might've been Matt Chandler, but he said um, in reference to a verse like this, so the gospel's not about you primarily. I'm like, what? Like, that's the whole deal. Like God's here to save you. God is on this side of the, you know, if y'all ever, I kind of came up under the, you're on this side of the cliff, 
God's on this side of the cliff, the cross bridges it, but the whole thing was to get you over to God. It was all about you and you know, God just happened to be the means or Jesus was the means to get me over to God. And, but I, I read this and I'm like, man, I am he who blots out your transgression for my own sake. God redeems and restores for his glory, not as us as the chief end of that. Does that hit anybody else uh, a little different than maybe how they've always thought of it? I know it hit me funny the first time and really made me stop and think. The gospel is not primarily about you. It is primarily about God displaying his glory. Matthew 6.10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, we see there and in Matthew 26.39 where Jesus says, Lord, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus got it. Um, he's about to endure the most painful, excruciating death ever. He's asking God, is there any other way around this? And God says, no, this is my purpose. And God says, then let your will be done. Jesus wanted God's glory to be displayed, so he was willing to endure anything if that meant he got to be a part of proclaiming God's glory and being a part of helping God's glory be proclaimed to the rest of the earth. So we see there, next slide, that God's plan from the beginning is to be worshiped and praised through the revelation of his glory, which he shows us through the reconciling and redeeming work of Jesus. If you walk away with nothing else, that's kind of the big idea for the day. We see in 2 Corinthians, and I'm going to start going quicker now because hopefully you're getting the point. Skip into the kind of key highlighted phrases there. He died for all, that those who live might, not longer, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So we were redeemed and restored so that we could live for his sake. In 2 Corinthians, we see that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself and entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. We were made ambassadors for God, making his appeal through us. So God's redeemed and restored us and then made us ambassadors. So as we're running out sharing the gospel, he is letting his glory be shown to the world around us. It's an amazing invitation that he's given us to be an, 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 a vessel through which he displays his glory to the rest of the world. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Coming back to my story, I realized I don't have to go think up the biggest dreams I can think up and then ask that God would do that plus a little more so that, you know, things could happen. God's prepared all the works beforehand. I just need to abide and I need to relish in the work that he's already planned and just be listening and attuned and ready and available when he wants to work to be a tool that he can work through to accomplish what he wants to do. In Philippians, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more to the glory and praise of God. There's a number of other things in there. Come back and read the rest of that. But, but again, the idea of all of it is for the glory and praise of God. Hebrews 13, through him then, let us continually offer up sacrifices and praise to God. Hebrews 20 and 21, 13, 20 and 21, um, that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. So guys, the big idea, living for God's glory should be our deepest desire and our highest aim. This isn't um, just an idea. I mean, this really is a huge theme and an underlying tenet from the beginning of scripture all the way to the end. Um, if you've not read scripture in this light, I encourage you to go back and really reread book after book, story after story, and realize the undercurrent of all of it is God's gonna display his glory through the redeeming and reconciling work of Jesus. So uh, we can skip over the warnings, um, but I want you to, to, when you come back and read these on your own time, when we look at warnings in scripture, we should read them as a litmus test that helps us evaluate if our lives have truly been marked by the redeeming work of Jesus as evidenced by a transformed behavior that seeks God's glory as its chief aim? Or have we merely been steeped in good rhetoric? This goes back to a lot of the folks I talk with, man. They've been at the church for years. You start talking, why do they want to get connected? Question? Okay. You start talking with them. They've been coming for years. They've got a lot of good rhetoric, but then you start talking, you realize they're still just attending, doing things because they're thinking God will make them happy and they're frustrated with God because life doesn't look the way they want. And you realize at the end of it, they're still just chasing their idols. They just think God's a better avenue to get what they want instead of really understanding it is all about God's glory. I don't know if any of y'all have ever had those conversations, but the church is filled with people that don't fully understand it's about God's glory first and foremost.
in my life that aren't Christians are very happy, they think they're happy, not knowing, they don't want to know the gospel, and so trying to break that down to family and friends and like, and for most people here, like, yeah, that sounds good, just take the gospel and so trying to then take it outside of the church. Yeah. That's a great question. Let's keep running through and let me actually try and tie it together at the end if I can. And then and maybe we'll actually open up for a few minutes at the end for a kind of group discussion. Um, for those of y'all that didn't hear, it's like that's great in the context of the church, but what about outside of the church? People that don't know the Lord and aren't interested in the Lord and really aren't interested in living for his glory. How do you bridge that gap and have that conversation with them? And that's great. We need to connect those dots as well. So let's come back to that. But so for these warnings, which, you know, largely targeted at believers, um, again, we need to really be thinking, have we truly been changed as evidenced by behavior of people that are seeking God's glory or are we just steeped in good rhetoric? If we truly believe in Christ in a saving way, we will increasingly, though imperfectly, be living for him and his glory. And part of living for him and his glory is loving and serving others because he has a heart for the body and seeing them healthy. So we will see evidences of people that have truly been transformed into God's image because they will be loving the Lord and seeking his glory, not their own. And they will be loving and serving one another. So what? I think the first question is for us, are you living for your glory or are you living uh, for God's? Um, A great question here to wrestle with. And I think sometimes this stuff is subtle. It's hard to know. For most of my life, nobody was, no one was exposing to me how much I was living for my glory instead of the Lord's. Uh, That's why I was walking for years under the guilt and the shame and the distortions because no one, it all looks good on the outside. Um, I think a good question, do you rejoice when you're invited to love others and serve others or do you grumble? Um, It's interesting, you know, we think about how many people attend on a given Sunday and how few are actually a part of regularly serving the, the others. And how often is the question arises, people's response, well, I have this and I have this, and they list all the things in their life that are gonna be uncomfortable. They don't list anything about the joy of what it would be like to be a part of the work that God's doing. Do you rejoice to get to be a part of biblical community or do you grumble about how it messes up your time? Uh, Those are questions that kind of get at this idea of, you know, are you really enjoying and relishing in the things that glorify God or are you grumbling because it's not serving your glory? Um, Common pitfalls. I think that we can run into is seeking your own pleasure and comfort over God's glory. We certainly talk about that a lot in suburbia, the context we're in. It's so easy to, to have this chief aim of finding comfort. You work hard to have a nice home, to have freedom and time with your family and all these things that we want. Um, but how often are we really consumed with God's glory and seeing his kingdom grow and seeing people matured in, in the gospel? Um, often we fall into the pitfall of seeking favor from men, uh, the discomfort of challenging people's perspectives with something they don't want to hear, confronting them with the fact that they're seeking their glory instead of God's and that that's leading them for a life of hell. Um, or perhaps you're seeking to prove yourself before God. Um, this is, happens all the time. I literally just a week ago I had a discussion with a guy and he says, I've got to be honest, the whole time I've served here, it was because I felt guilty and I felt like I needed to and I was trying to earn favor in front of you guys, but I've really never really served for God's glory. Like I don't have any conviction to be a part of what's going on for God's glory. I just felt like I needed to so that I would, you know, be okay in your book. Um, The church is full of people who are serving for the wrong reasons, who are involved for the wrong reasons, who need to really be brought back to understand the greatness of God's glory. So another, um, so what? really want to challenge folks to glorify God by proclaiming Jesus. Um, This comes back to the idea of the discipleship trainings. We're here to equip one another for the work of the ministry. And so I want everyone here to be thinking about who can you go have conversations with about God's glory, both within the church and outside of the church. Folks that know Jesus and need to be challenged with this and folks that don't know Jesus that really need to be challenged to think about is there some glory other than their own that's more important. Um, we have a lot of people who don't understand what you've just spent the last 45 minutes or hour learning about. Um, interestingly, and I think I said this at the beginning, but 
you look about in this room, there are a lot of people here in the church that you guys will have very intimate personal relationships with that Pastor Aaron, I, Pastor Shane, we don't. Uh, Pastor Joe doesn't. You have relationships with them. God has put you in their life so that you can do the work of the ministry. He's inviting you to be a part of the conversations to bring the gospel to them, to bring these truths to them, to challenge them and encourage them with those. So I want you all to be thinking about a handful of other people. I think I wrote down five, but truthfully, just be praying. Some of you might be two or three. For some of y'all, it might be 10 or 15 people that God's challenging you to have conversations with. For folks inside the church, it might look something like this. You might find yourself coming and saying, hey, Nick, you know, I was at a discipleship training and man, they're talking through a bunch of verses and 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 really stuck out to me. It says, for the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him for their sake, died and was raised. Man, as I've been chewing on that, it's been stirring my heart. I just, I realize how much I'm pursuing my own idols of comfort and these things and how little I think about God and his glory, how little I think about the growth of his kingdom, how little I think about the health of his church. And I've just been really convicted. And I don't know, just as I've been wrestling with those verses, I just wanted to bounce it off somebody. Like, what do you think of when you hear those verses? And a conversation has started. Um, You don't have to walk in blasting them, telling them what they need to know, but we're looking for bridges to open up conversations. And one of the best ways is to lead from your own conviction, what God's doing in your own life. Um, As we think about outside of the church, the context obviously depends on the relationship, but it can be very similar. Man, here's things I've been learning and wrestling with, and I just feel like I've spent a lot of my life chasing after my own glory, and I, I feel like there's another glory that's more important. You know, I feel like if we think about I think there's a God that created everything. And man, like if there is, it seems to me that he probably should be glorified over, you know, like I should be seeking his glory. Like if he's that powerful and you can just open a dialogue, what do you think? I don't know. Do you think there's a God? Do you, and you can start probing with questions. There's certainly a a ton of dynamics that come into play depending on where they're at. Are they open to the idea of God at all? If they're not, like there's probably some foundational work to even get into the realm. Uh, A mentor of mine would talk about pre-evangelical conversations. Like, getting them even open to the idea of God and having discussions about God. And sometimes that takes some groundwork first. Um, but so be thinking about, and, and we'll come back more. We're getting close enough to break out. That might be a better one in the small groups because then y'all can talk about that more, Nick. Um, but um, but we, my, my task or my challenge to all of you is to be praying. Lord, if it's about your glory, how can I be having intentional conversations because you have made me an ambassador how can I go have conversations to plant the, the seeds of truth, to bring scripture, to challenge people, to get people wrestling with this idea of your glory? Be praying that he would open up conversations, put people on your heart, preparing you so that you could have those conversations. And whether it's with people that don't know Jesus yet or those that do, that you could have fruitful conversations and really impart some rich truth to them. Um, for our church to be a good steward of what God has given us and what he's calling us to, we have to see the body equipped and taking ownership and understanding the tenets of scripture and living in light of those. It can't just be a handful of folks. It can't just be a pastoral team and a deacon team. It's the entire body, each using the gifts God's given them and the relationships God's put in their life with relational intentionality so that they can implant seeds of the gospel everywhere they go so that we can then truly flourish as a healthy body where each part's working as it's supposed to. So that brings us to our breakouts. Thank you all for being patient and for listening through such a a long um, dialogue there or a long monologue. Um, Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna have breakouts. For the breakouts, kids ministry is gonna be meeting. So if you are somebody that serves with kids ministry, they're gonna be meeting and talking through some stuff with Pastor Shane. Um, I had suggested the B wing, if that works okay for you guys. So y'all can grab one of the rings, wings, one of the rooms in the B wing. Uh, Michael Eller is here in the front. He's going to be meeting with the prayer team in the B wing. Security team is going to be meeting with Cooper Robinson. Awesome. There's more. And (laughs) as I'm going through these, if you are not currently serving in a given team or group, um, pick the one that is most interesting and you can go and listen and learn and you know, talk with them afterwards if you might like to serve with them. You're not committing yourself to anything, but at least gives you a place to go and connect. Um, hospitality team is gonna be meeting with Jessica. Miss Jessica is here. 
Um, and so would y'all like to meet in the kitchen to do practical or would y'all like to meet in the B-wing in a room in there? What would you prefer? Hospitality team will meet in the kitchen. Student ministry, I uh, suggest y'all just go meet in the students' room. That would be nice and comfortable with Kyle. For the students, we've also, we've got an interesting dialogue today. They're going to be talking about, uh, Mark's going to be coming as well. They're going to be talking about some opportunities to be involved with Young Life as a chance to connect with more kids and some things of that nature. So even if you're not currently involved in student ministry, if that's of interest to you and you'd like to hear more what's going on there, you're welcome to join them in the, the students' room, which will be over basically as you head into the kids' ministry wing. Community groups are going to be in the commons uh, with the community group coaches. And then I'll be in here with all the Sunday operations teams. Uh, so anybody that doesn't have a breakout room or if your Sunday operations team, just in general, you can come in here and meet with me. And here's what I'd like for you guys to do during the breakouts. Um, some of y'all will have some team-specific training. Uh, but for those of y'all that, that don't, would encourage y'all to wrestle through some of these things. How does it impact you to know that the primary purpose of the gospel isn't about you, but it's a means by which God purposed to display his glory? And then think through what verse or verses are most helpful to you in understanding God's purpose is for his glory to be displayed. And then my encouragement be to spend some time and actually stop, write an outline for how you would proclaim those truths to others, and then actually practice with one another, have some dialogues. How would you share in a way that builds a bridge that could create a conversation where you could draw other people out? Um, you don't want to just make a statement and tell them, you should think this. You want to be able to build a bridge and draw them out. Get them asking about your life, why this has been so convicting. Get them wrestling with the scripture themselves. Get them thinking about, God, what does that mean? Make them wrestle with it. So think about what that could look like and have some conversations with one another practicing that. Uh, role playing, as awkward as it can be, because you'll get a chance to hear others. You'll get a chance to work on that so that you can be equipped and prepared for when those conversations actually come up in real life, you might be better equipped and ready for it. Um, Nick, thanks for that great question. Um, as y'all break out into the community groups, that would be a great one to wrestle with more and what that can look like in the context of, of um, folks outside of the church. Any questions before? Yes, ma'am, Angela. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Are you suggesting that like personally in your own life or you mean like as a church, like in our, okay. Yeah, we, we've had a conviction of that. So we regularly in our at a glance and in our stage announcements try to highlight some of those evidences of God's grace week to week as we go. Not every week, but we've tried to make that a regular part. And I think you're right. Evidences of God's grace being proclaimed, talking about what God's doing is a great way to incorporate that. All right. Well, if anybody else has questions as we break out, feel free and come and grab me. Um, for the folks in here, we'll probably take just a couple minutes if folks need to grab a bathroom break and while everyone else clears out, and then we'll start up again in just a few minutes. So thank you, everybody.